Hey, welcome everyone again. So we're continuing our series on Ephesians. We've been looking at the book of Ephesians. Um, we're on chapter five now. And as I was thinking about this, it kind of brought back some funny memories for me. Um, I actually studied French and Spanish at Queen's, which not many people know because I've totally forgotten my languages. It's so bad, I've never taught them, never really used them that much. So I feel ashamed of that. My friends who I went to uni with aren't impressed. But um, whenever we studied there, we had to do a year abroad in one of the countries. And I was near Toulouse in the south of France. And that was the best suntan ever, I have to say. But in that year, I feel like I really grew up as a Christian because I didn't have the security around me of my church, my youth group, which I loved. You know, Christian friends, see you, all of that. It just was me and God. And I was friendly with this really lovely French Christian family and I went to a wee church with them. But the only person aged between like 13 and 40 was me. So um, I had actually become a Christian when I was a teenager, three friends at school. And I think that God was at work in my life before that because I remember in school in first year, we got given out a free little Gideon's New Testament. We read one, maybe some of you got a book, a Bible in school too. And I remember like in first year being really intrigued by this, you know, I wanted to read it and I would carry it around in my blazer pocket. And I remember one day in music getting told off and I think the teacher feel, felt bad for telling me off for reading the Bible, but he was like, you're not meant to read that here, can you put it away? So whenever I was in France, um, as you might know, it's a very secular country. You know, in the past, evangelical Christians have been considered a cult. And religion is not allowed in schools at all. And I remember one day I was walking out of the school where I was te a, a teaching assistant, a language assistant. And this man on the street had this big cardboard box. And he was actually giving out Gideon's Bibles, similar to the one I would have got when I was in school, but obviously it was in French. But he wasn't allowed to do that in school. They're not allowed to do any religious stuff in school. And some of the kids were taking them off him. And some of them were just throwing them down in the road. And I just remember being really impacted by that. You know, it saddened me so much to see God's word just being cast aside like that and really despised almost. And I just think, you know, if we want to be followers of Jesus, we really need to grow to love his word. And that's one of the reasons why we've been spending time looking at the book of Ephesians. And you know, our word for a church this year we felt was grew up, growing up in every aspect of Christian life. And we really enjoyed this going deeper into his word. That's one aspect of growing up. And I was just wondering if anyone had done their homework from last week that Paul gave out. Oh, a show of hands. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, he asked us to read all about love in the Bible. So that was the homework. So top marks to those of you who remembered and actually did it. So whenever I was living in France for that time, this girl from England came out on a three-month Erasmus scheme, this scheme that you could go on. And let's just say she had a really different lifestyle to me. And she used to really tease me and wind me up for being a Christian. And one of the things she used to say to me so incredulously was, the Bible says wives have to submit to their husbands. Who would want to do that? 
So I have got that passage today, which does have that wife submit to your husbands. And I must confess, I was a bit nervous about um, speaking on this passage. So I've got a lot of help in my talk from another vineyard pastor's talk. I'm just confessing now. But hopefully um, you'll get something out of it and you'll be able to apply it to your life. So we're in Ephesians 5, 21 to 23, um, instructions for Christian households. And it can certainly stir up a deep reaction in us, can't it, this wives submit to your husbands thing. So this morning we're going to look at that pa- this passage and see what it's all about. And Stephen Hillis has kindly agreed to come and read for me because it's better to have a different voice. Uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, for which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we were members of this body. For, the reason, <coughs> for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Whoever, each one of you, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Thank you, Stephen. Okay, so these words about submitting and husband being the head of the wife, those words have caused a lot of confusion and indeed controversy over a long time. So what do we do with this passage? How do we apply it to marriage? You know, there's those here who are currently married, those who here who would hope to be married in future, and this is a challenge. So in this the word head and the word submit, they're never explic- explicitly defined. So Paul doesn't actually say, by head I mean this, by submit I mean such and such. So we have a bit, of, a bit of a battle between theologians who look to the usage of the word head or the word submit from the ancient world. So one side believes head in the in- ancient world meant to lead or to rule. So a husband is supposed to lead his wife. This would be a classic complementarian position. And the other side argues that the word head in the ancient world meant source, the head or the headwaters of a river, and that meant the source of the river. So husbands aren't asked to rule or lead their wives, but they're asked instead to be a source of nurture and care to their wives. And that would be the classic egalitarian position. So um, I've been reading loads about that and my head has been spinning, so that's why I've got a lot of help with this this morning. So, but also when we consider this, you know, some people go straight for verse 22. They're like, wives, submit to your husbands. But if you look at the passage, that's not actually where it begins. It begins with 
submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we obviously need to take that into account when we're looking at this passage. And Paul in Ephesians says, submit to one another. And um, Paul in the past, Paul in the Bible, who wrote Ephesians and all these letters, he's been accused before of being a bit of a chauvinist. You know, that it's his fault that women have been discriminated against for such a long time. But we have to remember that in the Bible, he constantly tries to break, break down barriers. And he says here in Galatians, another one of the letters he wrote, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There is unity and equality under Christ. Paul had Priscilla as a co-worker and in Jewish culture they didn't really believe that scripture should be taught to females but we even see from the life of Jesus you know um, Mary sat at his feet to hear his teaching and Martha calls her out and says tell her to come and help me in the kitchen and Jesus says Mary has chosen the better way so in under Jesus women did hear scripture and that was countercultural at the time so here's the deal if we start talking about authority and headship and leadership in the terms that we think about in our world in 2014 we're probably going to get it all wrong because in our culture well I think the word submit feels probably a bit negative you know like you're being diminished if you submit but when we look about the Bible and how it talks about headship leadership ruling over someone being in charge when we look to the biblical model of leadership, we obviously have to look at Jesus. And he didn't come to serve, to be served. He came to serve. He came to show and demonstrate love. He came to die on our behalf. He didn't come lording it over everyone, ruling and reigning, although that he could have done that, you know, but, and he does now rule and reign today, but he came serving and loving. He came saying and demonstrating, if you want to be a leader, get ready to serve. Grab a towel, get ready to wash the feet of the least and the broken. Spend yourself on those you're serving, those you're leading, those you're in authority over. And some of us here today might have met leaders, even Christian leaders, who just wanted the platform, they just wanted the position, they just wanted the recognition. Maybe some of us new husbands, Christian husbands, who have taken this verse and used it with a bit of attitude, like, I'm in charge, wife submit, wife do dishes, wife make me happy, or whatever. But that's not a real loving way. Naughty boys over there. <laughs> um, under Jesus, it's not like Jesus' love. You know, under Jesus' leadership, people were loved and empowered and released to do way more than they thought they could. So if you're a leader or you aspire to lead, then people need to blossom under your leadership. People need to be empowered. People need to be served rather than just exist to serve you. So, you know, this verse, the Son of Man didn't come to be served but to serve, and he gave his life. He gave his very life. Okay, when Paul explains in this passage in Ephesians what he means by love and submit, he never uses the word rule or dominate or control or all the things that we're probably afraid of. Instead, he uses the word love, and you can see that three times in the passage. In verse 25, 28, and 33, he commands, Husbands, love your wives. And you know, if we'd done our homework and read 1 Corinthians 13, we'll have that strong definition of love fresh in our minds. What does that mean? Husbands, love your wives. You know, love is patient, love is kind, love bears no record of wrongs, all of those things in 1 Corinthians. 
So again, any type of authority or leadership in the New Testament terms, it has to be defined by Christ. He led like a servant, loved sacrificially, gave himself up for those in authority over. So husbands, Paul says you're the head, but how that is explained in the passage is that you're a servant lover, laying yourself and wants and needs down in preference for the one you're the head of, your wife, and potentially your whole household if you have kids. You know, this passage, instead of pushing the church and marriage and husbands in the direction of ruling, lordship, governing, dominating, what we might associate with being in charge or in leadership or being ahead of something, it's actually, if we actually read that and think about it deeply and internalize it, it pulls us in the direction of self-sacrifice, you know, laying down our lives, the crucifixion of our wills. So what does submission look like? What does it actually mean? Lots of us are afraid, you know, maybe women, you've been given this impression before that it's silent, you know, you don't have an opinion, you're just the subservient ideal wife who just exists to serve her husband and do whatever he says. But I don't think so. A wife submits to her husband, and the word submit in the original language does mean to place under, but actually it's a willing and a glad free submission. I choose to submit myself. It's not something that I am forced to do. I don't lose my personality, my gifts, and my talents. In fact, in a godly Christian marriage, those things should be blessed and enhanced. But wives, we do have the role of a radical faith and hope and trust that our husbands will love us just as Christ loved his church on to death. And that mirrors the radical faith and hope and trust that the body of Christ has that Jesus will return. So the wife will freely place herself under the husband's authority, knowing that the husband leads like Jesus, places his wife first, serves, loves, and gives himself up for her. And in that place, the wife is elevated, not dominated. You know, that's a marriage that's great because it looks like Jesus and his church. And some of you women might be saying, well, I'd never submit, no way, I'm never doing that. But what if your husband loved you like this passage, you know, as God intended with a love that's servant-hearted, with a love that takes initiative, that dies to self, that is a picture of Christ's love for his bride? Then would you feel like you would be able to submit, you know, would you consider it? And does submission look different if that's what it's about? And I remember, you know, that girl... In France, you know, saying, why would you be a Christian that says, wives, submit to your husbands? And I didn't really know that much then. I was a bit of a naive 20-year-old, but I do remember saying, well, it also says, husbands, love your wives. So as Christ loved the church, and that's a pretty massive way to love. So if my husband loved me like that, then maybe I would be able to submit. So... Just like Jesus in the church, you know, over and over again in this passage, we're told that marriage is like Jesus' relationship with the church. It's almost like, do you get it? Do you get it? Verse 23, verse 24, verse 25, verse 29, and verse 32. And if that's true, if relationship between Jesus and his church is the model for marriage, I thought we could get a little practical. Look at a few of the ways the church responds to Jesus, a few of the ways Jesus loves his church, apply those to marriage, ask questions about our marriage, or if we're not married, about the marriage we would hope for, if that's what we would like in the future. So if you want to measure your marriage, does it look like the relationship of Christ and the church? Okay, for wives, first of all, 
what does submission look like? You know, as I said before, some, you know, where some of us are afraid that it's this like silent doormat type wife who just exists to do whatever her husband wants. But let's look back through what we've been studying in Ephesians, see that the way the church, who is the bride, relates to her husband, Jesus. You know, as wives, we need to ask ourselves, is this who I relate to my husband? So praise, for example, in this verse in Ephesians 1, Paul calls the church to praise Jesus. And wives, it's a question for all of us today. Do we praise our husbands? Do we normally build them up with our words? Or if we're honest, do we tear them down quite a lot? Do we constantly criticize them? Would we say, we, are they nagged? You know, do, do you regularly tell him about all his mistakes, the things he does wrong, or do you encourage him? Do you build him up? Do you praise him as the church praises their saviour, Jesus? And here's a biggie as well. What about in public? You know, do you slag him off to your friends? Do you rip him apart? How do you speak even when you're not pleased? You know, do you expose him in front of other people? And some of you might be saying, well... Let's face it, my husband is nothing like Jesus. You know, he's a bit of an idiot. You know, what would I praise about him anyway? And the Bible recognizes that all husbands fail. They're not perfect. Some of them are a bit selfish or childlike. But that's why it says in verse 22, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So in other words, you don't praise your husband or submit to him for his sake but you do it for the sake of your relationship with Jesus you know that's pretty tough that sounds tough to me saying that do you it's pretty strong words but you do it for Jesus sake you know open your heart to your husband respond to your husband be vulnerable to him forgive him when he does muck it up you know and not not necessarily because your husband deserves it but because Jesus asked you to do it you know, it said, do it for Jesus, if not for for your husband. And that's hard sometimes, I know. And just, But just because it's a hard thing to do doesn't mean you shouldn't do it or it's a bad thing to do. And I just want to clarify as well, of course, in this. When it says wives should submit to their husbands and everything, everything is conditioned by the context of Christian marriage so that everything certainly wouldn't be something sinful or a violation of the wife's conscience or something degrading or something counter to her dignity as a Christian wife. So hear me, I'm not saying submit, you know, to the wrong thing. So for husbands... In Ephesians, the call is to love your wife um, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So a great husband is not uninvolved with his wife or kids. He's not silent, detached, uncommunicative. He's not unable to engage emotionally. He's not domineering. He's not dominating. He's not a pushy person. You know, husbands, speaking to you today, your job is not to remind your wives about what they have to do to be a good wife. And I saw this picture when I was preparing. It says, a good husband wipes away her tears. A great husband takes time to understand why she's crying. And since Paul's not here, I thought I could just drop a minute like he often does to me. So during the week, I was preparing for this. Um, and I was at home and Paul was down at the church building. So he sent me a text and he goes, so how's the talk going? So I said, talk going slow. I don't know why I feel overwhelmed by everything at the moment. Even organizing normal life feels stressful, sorry. Because like normally, 
you can, well, for me, each week goes by and I get just get on with it. But you know, sometimes you have those weeks where even just sorting everything out in the house just feels mental. So it was feeling a wee bit like that. So that's what I wrote back to him. Here's his reply. Tell me what you need me to do. And I was like, that is such a man answer, you know, I'm saying, oh, I'm really stressed out. And he says, like, what can I do to fix this problem? So I just said, that's such a man answer. So his reply was, sorry, I'll try again. Here's his reply. I am sorry to hear life is stressful at the moment. I think you are amazing. <laughs> so, haha, I've got my own back. <laughs> so seriously, though, that was a wee bit of a joke, but my any husband's job is to love their wives so that they provoke in them the same response that the church gives to Jesus. And if a husband loves his wife like that, so completely, so profoundly, then it would be natural for her to want to submit themselves to them. So what does this love look like? You know, Jesus loves his church through prayer. It says here in he Hebrews, he lives to intercede for them. And we find Jesus in the Gospels. He was always going away to pray for people, praying for his church, praying for their purity, blessing for their relationships with each other. So husbands, here's a question for you today. If this is how, how to love as Christ loved the church, how often do you pray for your wife? You know, do you pray blessing on her? Is that a regular common practice, something that you do? You know, do you thank God for her? Do you ask him to strengthen your wife and bless her? And women too, praying for your husbands. You know, our relationships will change dramatically when we pray regularly for our spouses because you see them through different eyes. You see them through the eyes of a God who loves them and, and has compassion for them. It helps you to understand them better. It helps you to love them as Jesus does. It helps you to want to serve the other person. And husbands, if you're struggling to love your wives as Christ loves the church, I encourage you to pray for them. And wives, if you're struggling to relate to your husbands and dare I use the word submit, then pray for them too. And don't tell them, don't go, oh, I'm praying for you today, you know, and make a big deal out of it. Just do it. You know, and I really want to challenge all of you who are married this week. Pray for your spouse regularly and see what happens. You know, that's the mystery of prayer. As we pray, the person we're praying for is changed, but we're changed too because we receive more of God's heart. You know, he changes us and he answers our prayers. And also another way to love our wives as Christ loves the church is to take the initiative. You know, Jesus took the initiative with us, you know, with the church. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And someone felt that during the worship this morning. You know, as an aside, if you're finding it hard to meet with God, you know, Jesus is trying to reach out to you. He just wants to pour out his love and compassion onto you. He didn't wait for us. He took the initiative. And husbands, you know, if you're going to follow Jesus' example and, and take the initiative with your wives, you know, you need to act first. You need to engage first, love first, no matter what that costs. You know, Christ went to the cross willingly. He under went the ultimate sacrifice and men love your wives willingly you know don't wait till it feels right or you feel good about it or you feel comfortable or ready you know sometimes you just need to take a risk and do it and the feelings will follow afterwards and wives if you see your husband's really doing that really stepping out taking a risk trying hard then you need to embrace that and encourage that in them you know don't just give them a clip round the ear and slag them off you know just really meet each other in the middle and, and really see what God's going to do. 
So husbands need to show the initiative. Husbands need to take ownership of the spiritual direction of the family. Work hard to be fathers to your children. And, you know, we've all seen in society how so many men just abdicate that responsibility. They don't bother. They don't engage with their kids. They don't lead their family. You know, and it's not about being a dominating dictator. It's being a servant lover who initiates and blesses. So lastly, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present himself to as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. You know, according to this passage, love for our wives includes sanctifying love. You know, Jesus didn't come to get us into heaven. It's not just a ticket to heaven. It's not just to save him from judgment, but it's to change us, to cleanse his church, to make us holy, to make us more like Jesus every day. So if husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, then, you know, you need to look at your wife. You can't save her and sanctify her like Jesus does. But in your relationship, is your wife becoming more beautiful inside than when you first married her? Is she more healthy? Is she more mature? Is she more secure? Does she want more of Jesus? Is she growing and flourishing because of you and your love? Or is she just getting on with it in spite of you? You know, is your wife better off as a result of being in a marriage with you, of living with you? Or would you say, in all honesty, your wife is more defeated, less joyful, more angry, less full of faith, more discouraged. And if it's those things, then what responsibility do you have as part of that? You know, this sounds really tough today, but, you know, we have to ask the tough questions. That's being real. You know, so are you loving your wife in a way that's bringing her blessing or not? You know, and sometimes, you know, we need to take a look in the mirror at ourselves as well, husbands and wives. You know, as I said before, there's a lot of battles about what this headship of a husband actually means. But one thing for sure, it does mean that a husband is to live to promote the health and well-being of his wife in every way that's physically, emotionally and spiritually. So husbands, how is your wife growing? Is she blossoming or is she shriveling up? You know, we're all created with a purpose, with a, a unique design. So is God that person that your wife is? Are you calling that out in her or is she dying on the inside? You know, some of you might say this morning, well, that was a bit in your face, Chantel. That was a bit direct. You know, but we're spending time studying this book. You know, part of going deeper with the word involves working out what that means in our everyday lives. You know, marriage is for men. It's not for boys. It's a serious business. Marriage is for women, not for girls. It's a serious business. You know, it's a real blessing and joy. But it's hard work and there's so much at stake. And I remember when Paul and I first got married, within about a year of us getting married, we knew four Christian couples quite close to us whose marriages ended for one reason or another. And I just remember being really struck by that because sometimes you think, oh, if you're a Christian, you'll be okay and all of that stuff. And it just was a real wake-up call to me. This is something we... You know, we need to work at, we need to fight for all of the time. And you know, all of us know someone who's experienced the pain and devastation of a marriage ending. You know, some of us here 
have experienced that or are going through that. And we just want to say this morning, we want to be there for you as a church. And I know that some of you are especially cared for in your life groups, you know, as you build your deeper relationships with people in church. But we're here for you if that's your experience. And another thing, I just want to take this opportunity this morning to say again, you know, if things are tough in your marriage, don't stay silent. Because um, one of the other things I do part-time is um, a counsellor. And I've had people come and they're just at the end of themselves. Their marriages are in a complete state. And they have actually said to me themselves, if only we'd faced up to this sooner, or if only we'd come for help sooner, you know, it could have made an even bigger difference. It might have even saved our relationship. So sometimes in our marriages, we need ruthless evaluation. Sometimes we bury our heads in the sand, we shy away from the truth, and we know that it hurts. And some of us can just sit here and say, oh, well, she's talking about someone else. You know, it's not about me. And all the time, you know, our, spi our spouse is like just dying on the inside or they're giving you a big elbow in the ribs saying that is about us, you know. We need to ask ourselves today, is God putting his finger on something, you know, as we worship after this, you know, open yourselves up and ask him, God, show me the things. Even if you think your marriage is great, that's great. But God, show me the things that I can change. Show me how to honor my spouse better. Give me a heart to pray for them more. And sometimes that ruthless evaluation is painful. But if, if you just stay the same, nothing's going to change if you don't respond you know, it's not going to get any better and it might save your marriage if you do take that brave, brave step. And here I'm talking to husbands and wives and also I'm talking to the single people in the room too. You know, am I a person who's ready for this? You know, am I submitting to God and loving him and going deeper so that when I do enter into your marriage, I'm going to be as whole and secure as I can be? Am I looking for a partner who'll relate to me in this way? He'll love me in this way, as we've read in this passage in Ephesians. So just where we started off, you know, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what God is calling all of us to do today in our marriages, in our relationships, to really serve one another and love one another. So that's what I'm asking you today. Can we do that today? Why don't we stand together? Do you guys want to come up? That's pretty tough to speak about and it's pretty tough to respond to that as well. So I'm just going to pray and ask God to come. Lord, I just pray that you come now by your Holy Spirit. <clears throat>